Welcome back to Cherry Avenue True Crime Podcast. On this episode, I have three cold cases that were solved in an unusual way. I want to just give a shout out here to Texas. According to my statistics page on my hosting site, Texas has the most in one state of my listeners. Next to that is California, Florida, Illinois, and Kentucky. They round up my top five in states. Thank you, all of you. If you are not in the top five, I still love you. I love you lots. Spread the word in your state. Tell a friend. I need you all more than ever. Please go to patreon.com Cherry Avenue True Crime to see how you can support the show. Also, please visit us on social media, on Twitter at Avenue Crime, on Facebook at Cherry Avenue True Crime Podcast, and Instagram at Cherry Avenue True Crime. This is going to be a good episode, but just a little bit shorter than my normal ones. I know everyone is going through some struggles with the coronavirus. I'm dealing with some as well. But on top of that, I've had some sad news, some out-of-the-blue betrayal. I'll get through it, uh, as it isn't even remotely the worst thing that I've had to endure in this life, but it has slowed the progress of my writing and research, as I've just been processing all of it. And uh, more information on this, unfortunately, has been kept coming my way, so I've had to process all of that as well. I do hope all of you are doing well, as well as you can, during this health crisis. I should be back to my normal self for the next episode and hope to help provide some distraction for you during this time. I've got some movie and TV show recommendations also if you want to hear them at the end. They are not all true crime. In fact, I think most of them are not at all. Um, it might not be any of them, but they're good. Before we start on this episode, I'd like to give another shout out to the top countries that listen to this podcast. The first one is the good old US of A. The other to round off the top five in order are the UK, Australia, Canada, and New Zealand. Thank you, all of you, so much. Okay, let's get started. As always, this is a true crime podcast. It contains detailed content about murders and other assaults. Listener discretion is advised. Cold cases closed. May 7, 2004, in Lakeland, Florida, Thomas Wayne Grammer and his wife Lisa were home at around 3 a.m. when three people, two men and a woman, entered their home, which at the time was for an unknown reason. Grammer's wife said there was an argument and that one of the men shot Grammer, 36, multiple times and then fled. The case went cold for a couple of years and was then solved in a fairly unique way. Polk County, Florida developed special playing cards for the prison inmates. These cards featured different cold cases on each one. One of the prisoners recognized the story of Thomas Grammer's case and came forward and told them that another man, Jason Seawright, was involved. It turns out Grammer was a methamphetamine dealer. Jason Seawright and Reggie G. Williams had planned to rob Grammer that night. 
but grammar put up a fight. In the end, Williams fatally shot him. Both Seawright and Williams were indicted on charges of first-degree murder. Law enforcement said this was the first case solved with the playing deck cards. They were obviously pleased with the results of the program at the time of the article, in 2006, and had planned on printing more decks with new cases. The executive director of Heartland Crime Stopper, Wayne Cross, said many more tips were coming. Heartland Crime Stopper is the organization that funded the playing cards. Also, at that time, investigators were pursuing tips provided by inmates for two other unsolved homicides in the deck. The second case took place in 1995. On December 15, 1995, Crystal Lynn Beslanowicz was found deceased on the banks of the Provo River, Utah. Her body was severely beaten and bloody. She was naked and lying face down. Her skull had been beaten in with a rock. She was only 17 years old. There was a large granite bloody rock nearby that looked as if it had been used to bash her in with. Parts of the rock were saved as evidence. It would be 18 years before Crystal's case would be solved. In 1995, we did not have technology to extract DNA from rocks. A new technology was created and used in 2013 on this case. That technology is called the MVAC system, which collected enough DNA from that rock to create a full profile. The DNA belonged to Joseph Michael Simpson. He had already served time in prison for murder in the 1980s, but he wasn't a suspect in the case originally. He was arrested September 17, 2013 in Sarasota, Florida. Crystal's mother said that her daughter was involved with drugs and was even involved in sex work. Her mother went on to say that every time Crystal would return to live at home, she was welcomed with open arms and she had never refused her. Crystal and her boyfriend had just moved to Utah from their hometown of Spokane, Washington, just five months before she was killed. Her boyfriend reported her missing two days after she did not return from the store one night. Joseph Michael Simpson was convicted of murder before this. In 1987, he was convicted of murder in Utah. He was paroled in April of 1995. In December of 1995, he killed Crystal. And for our third case. It was shortly after midnight on Christmas Eve, 2005, a brush fire was reported along the 83 near Baltimore. A body was discovered by the first responder, a volunteer firefighter. He had to climb down an embankment and to get close to the fire to see that there was a person in the fire. After the fire was put out, they could see it was a black male, but he was otherwise unrecognizable. Accelerant was found at the scene. There was a melted plastic tarp under the body. The victim's hands and feet had been duct taped. Autopsy showed the victim had been shot in the head three times. 
It was also found that the man was dead before the fire was set. It was fairly clear that someone or more than one person had been trying to burn him to the point he would not be recognized. A sketch of the victim was put together with what they had, the structure of the skull and jaw, as well as some hair that was left intact enough to recognize a cornrow hairstyle. A woman called in on the sketch and said she thought it was her boyfriend, Wesley Pearson. She said that he wore an earring that wasn't in the sketch. The police confirmed that they had left that out on purpose. Wesley Person's fingerprints were on file for a previous drug trafficking incident. They were compared to some partial prints that they were able to get from the body, and the prints matched. They knew that Wesley had not been killed there, that it was a dump site. They were fairly certain. On the night of Christmas Eve, Wesley had gone shopping with his cousin and then had gone off with some friends. The two friends were said to have had only minor brushes with the law and were known to have been longtime friends of Wesley. Inside the melted tarp that had been wrapped around Wesley's body was some construction debris. Inside the debris was some plaster that looked like it contained animal hairs, as well as some drywall that was painted pink and blue. The animal hair was throughout the chunks of plaster, and trace analysis Cassandra Burke, who was working the case, decided to take a closer look under the microscope. Thankfully, she did. It was indeed animal hairs, and this led to discovering that it was common to put animal hairs in plaster as a binding agent before 1940. So they were looking for a murder site in a house built before 1940. Unfortunately, that was a lot of houses in Baltimore. One of the friends that was with Wesley that night was involved in flipping houses. He had bought older homes that needed work, fixed them up, and then sold them. His name was Lawrence Morrell. The tarp Wesley was wrapped in was consistent with construction plastic, and one of the homes that Lawrence Morrell owned was built in the 1930s. In the basement of this home, they found a pile of debris swept up in a corner. They took all of it back to a forensic lab, and they found plaster and drywall with pieces of pink and blue paint found in the plaster with Wesley Person's body. The paint was analyzed, and it was a match. They also compared the animal hairs found in the house to the ones found on the body. They were both from the same animal. The cell phone records show that the friends were both together checking their voicemails the night Wesley died. Also, the victim's blood was found at the scene. But the scene was first discovered thanks to the animal hair in the plaster. But why would Wesley's friends want to kill him? Well, Wesley Pearson, Justin Glover Jr., and Lawrence Morrell Jr. had a car loan scam going on. They would get a fourth person to apply for an auto loan, divide up the money, and never buy the car. They repeated this scam over and over and would split up the money. In 2005, Wesley Person's partners in crime found out that he had done a scam or two without them. It was thought to have been worth somewhere between 15000 and 20000 and he had apparently neglected to share the profits. 
They were all in their 20s at the time. Wesley was 26, Justin Glover Jr. was 23, and Lawrence Morrell Jr. was 21. On February 19, 2008, Morrell and Glover were found guilty of first-degree murder, criminal conspiracy, and abuse of a corpse. Glover got a life sentence for this homicide and 11 to 22 years for other charges. Morrell received life without the possibility of parole, plus additional time. Thanks again for listening. I have those recommendations for you now. Brand new movies that were supposed to be out in theaters this week, but since the theaters were closed, they put them up for rent on Fandango Now and Amazon Prime. The two I thought were really good are, the first one is Emma, the 2020 version. There's other Emmas out there. Um, if you like British historical pieces or Jane Austen or both, you will love this one. Emma 2020. Or and the next one is The Hunt 2020. Really good movie. Uh, kept me interested with surprises throughout most of it. Leave your politics to the side with this movie. It makes fun of both sides and it's really good. TV shows. If you like a good fun mystery, the show about Agatha Raisin's book series is out on Amazon channel Acorn. I read the books over the years and the show is really well done. I was, I was really happy that they did such a great job. It's called Agatha Raisin. Just look that up on Amazon um, and you'll find it. If you grew up in the Midwest or Canada, you should be watching the show Letterkenny. It is so funny. Also fun for hockey fans. Available on Hulu and YouTube. And on Netflix, you, Y-O-U. I was resisting watching this show because I thought it was just a straight up stalker story, but it is so much more. It's really good. And for books, I recommend Vintage True Crime Stories, Volume 1 and 2. That's pretty much the best of what I've watched or read in the past four months or so, or at least that I can think of. Uh, I hope that it helps you get through some of this uh, being at home during the coronavirus and that you stay healthy. I'll add more to social media if they come to me. Uh, take care of each other. Keep being good to other people. Continue to fight the good fight. And as always, be safe. The sources for this episode, the Orlando Sentinel, 2-12-2006, the Ledger, 12-6-2005, DNA Services Unlimited, Desert News, Desert.com, Forensic Files, episode Dollars and Cents, PenLive.com, and DefrostingColdCases.com, backslash MVAC Secures Conviction Cold Case. But you could probably just look it up on DefrostingColdCases.com. Thank you again for listening. Be safe. <laughs>